0: Imagine walking in to find that your dog has eaten the kid's Easter basket, or your cat has been curious about that potted plant. What are you going to do? In today's episode, we'll discuss a lifeline for pet owners, the Pet Poison Helpline. Joining us is Dr. Renee Schmid, who's a boarded veterinary toxicologist, and she's going to share valuable insights on keeping our furry friends safe and what to do in the case of a poisoning incident. Stay tuned for life-saving information today on the Family Pet Podcast. Welcome into the Family Pet Podcast, the podcast for curious pet parents, where we believe the more you know about veterinary medicine and pet health, the better pet parent you can be. I'm your host, Michael Shirley. Totally out of you're practice. a little out of practice. I, I started talking. I was like, wait a minute, what do I say during these intros? We we have we we're did, getting back into it. We, we okay, we, if you say so. We 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 came back and then we recorded two or published two and then recorded some but haven't finished editing them. We're a little busy at Family Pet Health, which is a great, great thing. It's a great problem. If anybody out there is listening and you happen to be best friends with a licensed veterinary technician or a veterinarian or a a veterinary assistant or a customer service representative, tell them to call me. I'm hiring in all positions. We have experienced a lot of growth as we've moved into our new practice, uh, our new building. And uh, we're we're really excited, but unfortunately, that has cut out some of our editing time for the podcast. Um, so we apologize for that. We're trying our best to get back on a regular schedule uh, where we'll be publishing these weekly again. I have confidence that this this episode is going to be one of it's the beginning of the new streak. Okay, it's well, the positive streak. That's I I hope you're right. Yep. You know we we've even hired my son who stays up as weird hours like I do, and he's going to start editing. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> we'll and it. we are still planning on making these videos um to make this a video a vodcast, yes if you will, but uh we'll see. Let's just first just get back into regularly so, posting. First off,
1: who are you and who am I? Well, because
0: we didn't even do that part. My name is Michael Shirley and I'm joined as always by my brother Stephen. Good, Good to see you, Michael. Good to see you. Uh you know, We work together, but I don't often see you, (laughs) so it's interesting. It it works well that way. Well, that's true. That's the secret to our success. Our mother is still shocked to this day that you've worked here with me as long as you have, and it's because we don't see each other every day, I think. But you know who else we don't see is our guest, but we're excited to have her on. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about veterinary toxicology and the Pet Poison Helpline. And today we have Dr. Renee Schmidt. Uh, she is a veterinarian, and she's also a diplomat for the American Board of Veterinary Toxicologists. Dr. Schmidt, welcome in.
2: Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for having me.
0: I think we really... So this is the podcast for curious pet parents, where we are just trying to educate and make our pet parents smarter so that they can be better pet parents. Can we start with the basics here? We know what a veterinarian is. But what is a veterinary toxicologist?
2: A veterinary toxicologist is a veterinarian who has pretty much devoted their career or has specialized in toxicology. And toxicology is basically the study of poisons, things that an animal may get into that causes them to have an adverse effect or is what we say toxic to them and can cause potential life-threatening illnesses or signs for them.
1: It's one of those things that we, as pet parents, don't always think about. But the things that are are potentially dangerous right. to ingest well, to I our just, pets. I was, I was just always thinking, thinking about grapes. It's everything. Yeah. Well. <laughs> right. Yeah. My dog can eat anything. But so you work with the pet poison hotline in particular. What what is that, and how does that apply to our uh, to our pets and to our clients who or pet owners
2: yeah you bet so a lot of people are familiar with human poison control and we're animal we're a 24 7 animal poison control center we are really a a source of toxicology for pet and pet health advice for pet owners as well as veterinary professionals A lot of times, veterinary professionals may not see on a daily basis different types of toxins that animals get into. And so what we can do is we can help guide that pet owner to first determine is what their pet was exposed to or got into, is it going to be problematic for them? If it is, what type of therapy is necessary? Unfortunately, there's not a lot of things we can do for our pets when they get into something that's toxic at home, but sometimes there are things that can be done. If it's something that needs to be treated by a veterinarian, then we refer them over to their veterinarian or their nearest veterinary professional, and then we talk with that veterinarian about what the treatment recommendations are, what our concerns are, what are some of the signs that can happen how long we expect signs to occur, and we help we're, we're that source for them throughout the stay, the hospital stay of that animal. And so if it's something that they are ill for several days or even several weeks for, um, that veterinarian can still call us back and get guidance and advice so that we can ensure that the animal has its best opportunity to get back home with its family.
0: Can you walk us through, let's just say the flow chart here, um, of how this works when would we um, let's just talk to our pet parents let's say it's a uh, 10 o'clock at night and their pet has eaten something and they're very concerned that it is dangerous what what is your advice on what, what do they do
2: a lot of times veterinary clinics aren't open in the evenings unless it's a, a a service that provides urgent care and emergency facility and so sometimes their primary care veterinarian is already closed for the day and so, we're available. We have an 800 phone number that, uh, that pet parents and pet owners can call in. And let's say that the pet got into ibuprofen. And so, they, the owner will call us and say, my pet is a 56-pound Labrador who ingested seven ibuprofen tablets. And so, what our staff will do is we'll get kind of that full history and find out when it happened again how much it how much they got into how the animal is doing at the time of the call and then we'll do calculations to assess what is that did they get into an amount that's going to be problematic and I think that the kind of the worldwide quote for toxicology is that the dose makes the poison and that's absolutely true there's a lot of things that are problematic but it depends on the dose or the amount that they get into. And so we determine if that's going to be problematic. If it is going to be problematic, depending on the severity of it, is it something that maybe we can offer some over-the-counter treatment recommendations for? Or is it something that they would need to go into the veterinary clinic for? If we advise that this pet needs care from a veterinary clinic, we give everyone a case number. So they have that reference number. They take that with them to the veterinarian of their choice, and then that clinic can call us, and we tell them what our concerns are, what the expected clinical signs might be or symptoms, and then what, that treatment, what the treatment recommendations are for that particular pet.
1: That is a lot of, of assistance. Is there, is there a cost associated with that? Or who, who is responsible for that?
2: We are a fee-based service. Unfortunately, in the United States, there, are no, there is no government funding for animal poison control centers. And so there are no free animal poison control centers available in the United States. And so we do have to, unfortunately, charge a service to cover the, the technology fees, our staffing fees, and everything that goes into being able to provide that service. And at some point, it would be great if we were able to receive some type of government funding, but I I don't see it anywhere on the horizon.
0: Well, you say unfortunately, I say um, I think fortunately, we have a number that we can call where we can talk to uh, trained, highly trained veterinary professionals to help our pets. So um, I don't think you should. Be, feel sorry at all to, to charge people for that I, I would be happily paid that to I'm sure it's cheaper than an, a trip to the emergency room straight off so you know that's a that that yeah that's a good
2: thing. so yeah our fee right now it's an um, 85 us dollars and which generally is less than a trip to the emergency clinic may be a lot of times we're able to save that trip to the emergency clinic mm-hmm. we can you know with that call we can say gosh no this this pet can stay home. He can stay home and you can monitor him maybe through the night and follow up with your veterinarian tomorrow or we can do you know we can go maybe pick up some over the counter medication and 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 monitor him at home and then again follow up with your veterinarian. And then sometimes we it certainly requires them to go into the clinic, but then it keeps that unnecessary visit from occurring. One of the downsides is when we get called after maybe owners have decided to take matters into their own hands, and then sometimes the treatments that they, with very good intentions, try to do at home for their pet end up being more problematic than what it is the pet got into. So I always encourage people to talk with your veterinarian first if they're available. They may refer you straight to us, or if they're not available, then certainly call us because we want to help make sure that the right, uh, the right therapy, if your pet needs it, is being done.
0: I was on your website, which is PetPoisonHelpline.com, and I did see right at the beginning, it says, is this an emergency, and you click on it, and it kind of talks, talks people through that. One of the things is that it says, do not try any home remedies. What are, uh, maybe I don't, yeah, I don't want to ask the because you're putting it out there, but what is an example of a home remedy that you're like, don't do this? <laughs>
2: The first thing is that a lot of people automatically assume if their pet ingested something that they shouldn't have that they're going to try to get them to throw it up. And they will use creative ideas such as making the animal gag and that's something that can be dangerous because we can cause some permanent nerve damage to the airway. They might use mustard. They might use salt. uh, They might use syrup of epicac. Um, A lot of different uh, opportunities out there to try to get their pet to vomit that one, aren't going to be effective and two, can cause more harm than good. In dogs only, there's no way to safely induce vomiting in a cat at home. There is no way to do that. Uh, There are some articles out online that talk about using hydrogen peroxide in cats. And that is something that should never, ever be done because cats are highly sensitive and can have some fatal consequences from that. We do occasionally use hydrogen peroxide in dogs, but there's a, there's a limit, there's a dose, mm-hmm. there's a really parameter that should be used. So we don't want pet owners to just start giving hydrogen peroxide to their pet. Some other things is that um, maybe some pet owners have some medication around the house that they use for themselves or that they or that they have used before and decide to start giving that to their pet. And definitely, as we said, the dose makes the poison. So we can't give the, the same amount for a human that we would give for an animal or even a child. And um, every, every species, every type of, of animal or human you know, metabolizes and filters things differently. And so we don't want them to start giving pain medication. We don't want them to start giving um, any type of, maybe they have, um, Heart medication or something like that that they decide to give to their pet.
1: To summarize, don't give your pet anything after they have ingested call you first. That's 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 my take yeah, takeaway straight you got away. It.
2: <laughs> that's call. your takeaway. That's it.
1: Okay. So that's that's good. So what are some of the most common poison risks for our pets?
2: The number one, think about things that are really readily accessible in the household or common in households. And um, who doesn't love a good piece of chocolate on a daily, hourly, minutely basis? And so chocolate has been our number one our number one toxin or number one call for years and it beats the others really by a landslide and i think that's something that will continue to be very commonly occurring with animals one because it's so common in the household and you know these animals they like the smell of it they're they're intrigued by it and they want to taste it and ingest it and so chocolate is definitely our number one we get concerned with chocolate. There's different types of chocolate, so the amount we have to be concerned with depends on the type of chocolate. Your baker's chocolate, your unsweetened chocolate, and your really high dark chocolates, those are definitely more problematic than a Hershey Kiss will be. Um, but then the next one that comes in at a the closest second, but again still a, quite a bit lower than chocolate, is grapes and raisins. And I love grapes. And I love raisins, but when our children were younger, we established a no raisin household yeah. with our um, because of our dog. And when the kids drop raisins on the floor, they're harder to find than grapes are. And so we just made it that uh, raisins had to be you know, we had to take those someplace else if we were going to eat them. And those are things that can definitely cause kidney failure to occur. And, you know, think about chocolate, grapes, and raisins. There's a lot of households in the, in Boy, the, the country that have The dreaded chocolate-covered
0: raisin. It's like the double whammy.
2: Oh, oh yes, yep. Get a <laughs> double whammy Raisinets there. Raisin heads
0: in your popcorn. What, a, what a, you said earlier, the dose makes the poison. When it comes to raisins, how... Or how, grapes. Yeah, grapes, or and grapes and raisins. Well, they're, they're two separate things. They're the same but different. What is the what is the dose that makes those poisonous?
2: Yeah, you. That's that's a hard one to answer for grapes and raisins. <laughs> right. and the oh yeah. For that <laughs> well, is also because, the dogs. Yeah, size. yeah. You picked the you picked the right one to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with grapes and raisins, we don't a hundred percent know what that toxic component is. So why are they? Why do they cause kidney failure? We we don't a hundred percent know that answer. I think we're getting closer there's some thought that maybe an ingredient called tartaric acid is the culprit but it still needs to be really kind of looked at more and confirmed so far it's still just a bit of a theory and because we don't know specifically what that toxic component is we really can't find what that we can't establish a dose if you had medication So again, let's go back to ibuprofen, and I use ibuprofen frequently because it's so common in the households that we have a 200 milligram tablet of ibuprofen, and an animal gets into one of those or 10 of those or 20 of those, we can figure out how much they got into, and so those toxic doses can be established more readily. But with grapes and raisins, since we don't specifically know what it is that causes it to occur, we don't have a really good rule of thumb. The one thing we do know is that pretty much every animal can tolerate one grape or one raisin. We know that. And as the animal gets larger, so a, a Labrador, a Great Dane, a Mastiff, they're typically going to be able to tolerate more than what a Yorkie or a Chihuahua might be able to tolerate.
0: I- so is that what a toxicologist does, is the, the toxicologist, the veterinary toxicologists are the ones that are doing this type of research to try to figure out what it is inside a grape or a raisin that is toxic to the pets?
2: Correct, Yep, yeah, that's what a lot of them. So we have, in, in the field of toxicology, so what we do with Pet Poison Helpline, I consider myself a clinical toxicologist, which means I'm helping the patients, the immediate patient care for that. And then we have also people who would more classify as diagnostic toxicology. And so they may work in research laboratories or universities where they're studying these different toxins and amounts and the effects of that.
1: I'm still fascinated that we know so much,
0: but there's still so much to learn. Right. Well, I was just thinking about how there's certain companies and, that we see that are still doing research. And I'm like, what is there left to research well, here's one right here: toxicology. You toxicology know, like, of grapes. what is it? What is it about grapes and raisins? But and so what? Just real quick,
1: what do what do these poisons do to our pets? You said chocolate and raisins, and those
0: are the are two big some ones. Of the, let me just let me just let me just read off what's on this top ten, and then we can talk about that. So we have chocolate, mouse and rat poisons. Yes, uh, anti-inflammatory medications, grapes and raisins, xylitol, or what's the other name that's now labeled. Uh, what do they call it? Something gum sugars or something?
2: They're they're calling it. There's a lot of different names. There's birch sugar. There's yeah. birch wood sap, I believe, or extract. Um, they also they're sneaking it in by saying there's uh, polyols. So P O L Y O L S, mm. and polyols refer to sugar alcohols. And so it could be xylitol. It could be a different sugar alcohol. Well, as, well. as a type
0: one diabetic. I can tell you that anything with xylitol doesn't t- taste very good anyway, But so you might as well just keep it out of your house. <laughs> so give me the real sugar. I don't care what it does to my blood sugar. So, all right, that's why I have insulin. Okay, next up, onions and garlic, marijuana.
1: We, <laughs> those are the best phone calls to the vet
0: clinic. <laughs> hey, man, my, my dog, dog got into something. I don't <laughs> know where it was from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, vitamin D overdose. That's an interesting... I don't know I've ever heard of that one uh, antidepressants and acetaminophen. So that's our t- that's the top 10 yeah. toxins that we have on our little uh and you can check this list out at the pet poison helpline go to petpoisonhelpline.com. So what are some of the things... if we if our dog were to or cat or bird I guess it can affect
1: Well that's a that's a question tiger.
0: is what does it do
1: to it, do these things do different things to different Animals, animals, species, species, yeah.
2: Frequently, they do. So when we think about chocolate, chocolate can affect any of the species. We think about grapes and raisins most commonly with dogs. We because again, there's so much we still don't know about grapes and raisins. We are cautious when cats get into them, but we're most concerned with dogs. We go to xylitol. If we jump over to xylitol, xylitol is highly problematic in dogs and can easily uh, be fatal to them if they get into a large enough dose. Cats, cats get a free ride with xylitol. They, we don't expect to see signs and we haven't seen signs with xylitol in cats. If you think about some of the rodenticides, so these are mouse and rat baits, we think about, we can break that down into anticoagulants And those are the ones that we traditionally think about, the ones that cause bleeding issues to occur and if an animal gets into it, they get vitamin K1 and they do really well and life is great again. The downside is that those really haven't been used as frequently over the last oh seven, eight years or more and bromethalin is a very common active ingredient and that causes brain swelling to occur. Cats are extremely sensitive to bromethalin. Uh, Dogs are not as sensitive, but obviously still very problematic. Whereas with the anticoagulants or that bleeding rodenticide, dogs are more not resistant, but they're more tolerant of it. Excuse me, less tolerant of it, and cats are very resistant to it. So when we think about these different toxins, not only do we have to worry about, well, what is the toxin? What is it that they got into? But what's the species? And avocado. Avocado is a good one to bring up because avocado gets a really bad rap because it's highly fatal in birds and causes cardiac and respiratory issues, but really doesn't cause much of an issue in dogs and cats. Um, We can see other issues with rabbits and avocado as well. So it's... I think that's one of the exciting factors of toxicology is that, and in veterinary medicine, and you guys can speak to that too, is that it's not just about one particular species. We, we get to learn about all of these different species, and it's really amazing at how they, things can be affected so differently.
0: Is there a resource on the PetPoisonHelpline.com site that kind of tells common toxins by species?
2: Yeah, you know, we have a poisons list and people can type in chocolate or people can type in, um, you know, uh, caffeine or xylitol and it will pop up with that particular toxin and then there'll they'll be kind of a list of different species that are either highly sensitive or more problematic for that as well. And we have just hundreds of different resources available on that website. I'm not sure that we specifically break down it by birds are this concern or you know ferrets are this concern Mm -hmm. but if you look at specific toxins they should start popping up in there
1: that's a lot and we're going to put these information in the show notes because we want we want our listeners to go to the website that has all of this information that they can review and, and and gain information as i start looking ahead on the calendar um
0: (laughs) <laughs>
1: July 4th is... I was is, thinking
0: about ha- Halloween. Yeah, July
1: 4th is infamous for being the day when more pets run away. Is October 31st and November 1st the day when you get the most phone calls for uh, toxic questions? Or is questions it Valentine's Day? Because of all the candy? Yes.
2: Yeah,
0: which is, what, what do you it's
2: think, Stephen? It's a good question. We you always think, definitely have a spike. We always have a ramp up around the holidays, regardless of the holiday. And a lot of it has to do with people traveling. So maybe they're traveling and their house guest brought medications. They're not used to having a pet around. They left it in their suitcase that's on the floor, and the pet got into that, that container of medication. Or that they, you know, the when i don 't know about you, but around holidays, especially if we 're traveling or if we have family coming over our our routine is off, and so maybe we 're not paying attention as close attention to keeping things out of reach as we should be, and so they get into it you got to be careful um, chocolate those, uh... we always have a we always have a contest around holidays uh, to see. Especially Halloween to see who took the call with the largest chocolate ingestion, Whoa. but uh, surprisingly, Halloween is not the top holiday for chocolate calls. Uh, do you two want to take a guess as to which one it may be?
0: I'm going. I'm going with Michael, Valentine's. Michael Day. wants Valentine's Day. Mother's Day. Val- I'm going. Valentine's Easter. Day. Oh, oh yeah, because you leave the baskets out. What do? You-
2: yeah, so Easter or Valentine's Day, very close, but it's Christmas. Okay. The Christmas? the Christmas holiday has the largest chocolate number of calls. And of cook- I is it from I w- always would think it was Halloween.
1: Wow. I could go for yeah. I feel like wow. that's a fun fact. That I think so that's a cool <laughs> fun fact that we didn't even get to. <laughs> <laughs> well um I, Yeah,
2: I, yeah and we probably we still get a lot of calls for chocolate on Valentine's Day, Easter, um Thanksgiving, you know, Christmas, all of those holidays. But something that we see a big spike in around Valentine's Day, Easter and Mother's Day. Uh what do you think that one might be?
0: Flowers. The pet, the cats eat yeah, the flowers. Lilies, Lillies. yep. Yep. Our cats we got are, it. are we have we have a you have a no raisin policy. We have a no flowers policy at our house because the cats love to eat Everything, including compost. Their favorite thing to eat is uh, the avocado. I don't know, hull, shell, skin, whatever. Our cats are weird. They they like to eat uh, bell peppers and tomatoes. They're very strange. (laughs) Okay, they they make they make no sense. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Anywho, uh, Doctor Schmidt, is there anything that we should that that we should have asked you um, about your role with the with the pet poison help help helpline that we didn't ask?
2: not necessarily about my role but i think just taking a moment to encourage everyone as we are getting into that travel season that heavier travel season with the holidays and just something to keep in mind as i kind of mentioned you know make sure these medications get get picked up if you have anybody that's coming to your house to visit or if you are going somewhere I'm just as guilty as the next person where I I put my vitamins in in a baggie if I'm going someplace, I don't want to take the whole container with me and making sure those things are out of reach. If you take medications or supplements, just because they're a supplement doesn't mean that they're safe for pets for sure and if you take anything like that, be sure and Keep it out of reach, ideally behind a closed door, so up on a cabinet, up in a cupboard would be ideal. If you're taking that medication, I always encourage people to take it in an area that their pet is not in. So shut the bathroom door and take the medication, that way if you do drop it, if something spills, you don't have to try and and beat beat the animal from getting it, a dog or cat. A lot of people will put medications on their nightstand or or dinner table and walk away and they come back and the, and the medication is missing and so those are just really things to be very cognizant of and aware of that an animal can get into something so quickly and sometimes one pill can kill and it really depends on what it is and so just trying to avoid that as much as possible.
0: That's a great point, especially for people with multiple pets in the house. Like we have three dogs and two cats. <laughs> if, if we left the room and came back and the medicine's gone, you're like, well, who ate it? <laughs> so you, do you treat yeah. them all or do you say, well, survival of the fittest? I mean, that's, yeah. So, so the, it's a much better conversation or much better plan to just avoid that opportunity for your pets. So don't have that stuff out. So that's a great, great point. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, you bet. Well,
1: Doctor Schmidt, we have reached the end of uh, our show and have come to the point where we ask our guests to share a fun fact. This is a piece of information that uh, our listeners could win with uh, trivia night at the local pub, or certainly impress their friends and family at dinner. When so they travel
0: in with all their medications. Yeah, <laughs> yes.
1: So, uh, so what's, what's your what's your fun fact for us today?
2: Well, I, had, I certainly had to keep it with toxicology, and I chose the monarch butterfly. So the monarch butterfly ingests uh, milkweed. That's mm-hmm. really what it feeds off of as a caterpillar, and milkweeds are highly toxic. They have what is called cardiac glycosides, which is just a big term for heart toxins, and that's what is they have formed over the years. They've evolved. To be able to not die themselves from ingesting this particular toxin and it has served as a protective protective barrier for them and so as that caterpillar um, morphs and changes and grows and becomes a butterfly that heart toxin is spread throughout the wings of that butterfly and so when a predator comes to try to eat them or it does eat them it, they ingest a toxin that then kills the predator, so it serves as kind of a protective barrier. It also, in a lot of these, causes um, vomiting to occur very, very rapidly in any type of animal that's trying to eat this butterfly. And so they have butterflies as kind of, a, like you said earlier, survival of the fittest they have morphed themselves in order to be able to survive eating something that's highly toxic to everything else in order to survive themselves.
0: That is fascinating. Don't eat monarch butterflies. That's right. That's, that's all you
2: got out of that? I was thinking don't <laughs> eat milkweed. <laughs> so,
0: well, Dr. Schmidt... Well,
2: don't do that either. Yeah, if, for if, sure. Um,
0: if any of our pets eat milkweed, we know who to call. Um, we go to the petpoisonhelpline.com and from there you can click your way through a lot of information. Um, their phone number is listed there as well. So it's a great resource not only for pet parents, but for veterinary professionals, you know, this podcast is for pet parents. So, but you all also do talk through, uh, talk veterinary professionals through treatments of, uh, of when, when our pets have ingested things they're not supposed to. So we appreciate you joining us today on the podcast and for sharing a lot of great information. I, I learned a lot today. My, my, my notepad here is covered with things. One of the things I, uh, Wrote down and underlined, it says, the the dose makes the poison. So we've learned today that a small dose of some of our things can be deadly. I also wrote down something underneath it, which says, the solution to pollution is dilution. And the Family <laughs> Pet Podcast, we're bringing this great information, Stephen, to do... <laughs> I'm sorry, my face. This is why we need the video on our... That's right. Michael's face. Uh, I anyways. had this in my head. This all made perfect sense. A little bit of something can be very bad for, for your pets. But the Family Pet Podcast is here as the antidote to ignorance. Yeah. So my, we're, we're, we're providing lots of great information for people. We're going to get back on it, uh, putting my, it out weekly.
1: My takeaway again, and I just want to this to be the last thing that I say on the show uh, today, is that if your pet eats or ingests something, don't take action yourself. Instead, contact the poison uh, control hotline and follow the expert, uh, specific right. directions
0: there. don't right. do it yourself. Well, don't do that's a great. We'll leave it there. Until next time, stay curious. Family Pet Podcast is a podcast for curious pet parents where we believe the more you know about pet health care, the better pet parent you can be. The Family Pet Podcast is a production of Family Pet Health PLLC and is recorded in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The statements made as a part of this show should not be taken as an establishment of any form of a veterinary client-patient relationship. All comments are for entertainment and educational purposes only and you should reach out to your local veterinary partner before taking any action on anything that you've heard here today. We hope that you will share this podcast with a friend and it would mean so much to us if you would take a moment to leave a review and follow wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Show notes, links, and videos to accompany today's show can be found at the familypetpodcast.com.